0: Well, we continue our uh, study of uh, the gospel, Uh, just to reiterate, uh, uh, the gospel is all about Jesus, who he is, what he did, and how we receive his benefits. Uh, Today's passage will be from uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, and uh, we'll be talking about the work of our Lord Jesus. So turn with me there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. We thank you, uh, Father, for the reality of our Lord Jesus, who he is, what he did, and how we may tap into the glorious and wonderful solution to the problem of mankind, Lord. So we thank you for him. And we pray this morning, Lord, as we think about all these things that uh, it will come home to us uh, in a stronger way today, maybe, uh, so that we may be more grateful for his work. Understand it better, Lord, and and see it uh, as uh, the the way uh, to life everlasting, enjoying the benefits of your presence in new and wonderful ways. So, Lord, be with us as we look at these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So scripture is just absolutely loaded with references to the work of the Messiah. The diverse but coherent contexts of Genesis to Deuteronomy are linked in many ways to Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And the gospel writers do that. Paul does it. Uh, Peter does it. Uh, they all take from what was scripture in their day Uh, and apply it to the reality of the Jesus they knew, uh, and delivered it to us in the form of the New Testament that we enjoy to this day. The four Gospels all associate Jesus' sacrifice with the Passover. Paul speaks of Jesus as our Passover sacrifice. The author of Hebrews draws heavily from Genesis through Deuteronomy, seeing Jesus, among other things, as a royal priest, after the order of Melchizedek. Christ, as our mediator and high priest, offered the sacrifice once and for all. Like the priests of the Old Testament days, Christ entered into the holy place. But unlike that high priest, he entered to offer himself. He had to enter only one time, for he sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat. As the writer of Hebrews reminds us, from Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not made of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. one is "hooper," and from the Greek means "in" or "on behalf of," and the other is "tamurah," which means a substitute. These two things sort of talk about the idea of sacrifice that Hebrews is talking about, that the Old Testament is talking about—the offering of a sacrifice in substitution for someone else. The late Swiss theologian Karl Barth. Once said that, in his judgment, the single most important word in all the New Testament was, in fact, the minuscule word "hooper." Um, of course, he's using hyperbole there. There are lots of wonderful words in the New Testament, and you could go back and forth on what are the most important ones. But I think Barth's issue here was to was to was to make us con- knowledgeable of the idea of what Jesus has done on behalf of us, the people. Uh, The word is translated by the English phrase, in behalf of. Um, Barth here is simply seeking to call attention to the importance of what is known in theology as vicarious sacrifice, or the ministry of Jesus. In other words, the action Jesus has done for us, number one, made satisfaction for our debt, our enmity with God, and our guilt. He also satisfies the ransom demand for our release from captivity to sin. That's Jesus's work. And he did that through the vicarious sacrifice of himself on the cross. Vicarious meaning it was done for someone else. His substitution of ourselves on the cross was meant to do that, to pay our debt, to satisfy our ransom. Another significant word in all this uh, is, uh, is substitution. When we look at the biblical depiction of sin as crime, we see that Jesus' act as a substitute took our place at the bar of God's justice. For this reason, we sometimes speak of Jesus' work as a substitutionary atonement, which means that when he offered an atonement, it was not to satisfy God's justice for his own sins, but for the sins of others. He stepped into that role for the substitute, representing his people. He didn't lay down his life for his himself, he lay it down for his sheep. He is our ultimate substitute. So Jesus's mission from the beginning was that, plain and simple. It was for this reason that the Messiah came, Jesus would tell his disciples. The idea of being the substitute and offering of atonement to satisfy the demands of God's, God's law for others was something that Jesus understood as his mission from the moment he entered the world and took upon himself a human nature. He came from heaven as a gift of the Father for the express purpose of working out our redemption as our substitute, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. We see this as the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, when he initiated his public work by coming to the Jordan River and meeting John the Baptist. Remember the story from John. When Jesus uh, approached John, John looked up from his work and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, Scholars aren't sure whether John had a full grasp of what was going on, Uh, all the implications of it, what those would be. But he recognized Jesus as the solution to the problem of sin in mankind. He announced that Jesus was the one who had come to bear the sin of his people. In his person, he would fulfill all that was symbolized in the Old Testament sacrificial system, by which a lamb was slaughtered and burned on the altar as an offering before God, To represent atonement for sin. The Lamb was a substitute. So in calling Jesus the Lamb of God, John was asserting that he too would be a substitute, but the one who would make real atonement, not a temporary one, a symbolic one, but an actual one. To John's horror, Jesus came and said, I need to be baptized by you but john tried to dissuade jesus of that he says how can that be i should be baptized by you he says but john but jesus answered permit it to be so now for thus is it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness jesus's words here his explanation for what's going on is is trying to comfort uh, john in this moment uh is interesting he says permit it to be so now sort of you know, allowing John to know that there, there, there is a bit of mystery uh, in all of this. Why is Jesus, the perfect one, the perfect Lamb of God, coming to be baptized? John's baptism, which was a, 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 a baptism of repentance, of preparation for the coming Messiah. Why does the Messiah need to go through that? Jesus went on to give an explanation to why John should baptize him. He said, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. See, John was the last great uh, prophet of the Old Testament. And so the things that John conveyed to the people of Israel was, in, in effect, scripture. It was law. God didn't stop giving the law when he gave the Ten Commandments, but he continued on giving law to the people, teaching them what sin was all about. Placing before them his expectation for their behavior, their lives, their expectations. So John, in effect, laid down a new law in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. All God's people must be baptized, a baptism of preparation and of repentance. So when Jesus says he must be baptized, he's meaning that he must also come under that law himself. Even though he is perfect, he must still undergo the baptism that was for all of God's people, among whom Jesus counted himself. However, he would not need a baptism of repentance. His was more a baptism of identifying with the people of God. He also was under the law, as were they. So when Jesus undergoes this baptism, he identifies with the people. He becomes more than ever one of them. Jesus had to submit himself to every detail of every law that God had given to the nation. He had to represent his people before the bar of God's justice in every detail. Since the law now required that all of the people be baptized, Jesus too had to be baptized. He had to fulfill every single commandment of God if he was to be the sinless one. He was asking John to baptize him because he needed to be cleansed. He wasn't asking John to baptize him because he needed to be cleansed. He wanted to be baptized so that he could be obedient to his father in every detail. And in so doing, identified completely with God's people. And that's the point. Jesus knew his mission from the get-go. And he steered a steady course directly to that mission and through it the glory of god jesus was make was uh, the point that jesus was making here to john was that because jesus's mission was to be a substitute a vicarious sacrifice that is to say a sacrifice for someone else offered to god jesus understood this and embraced it from the very start of his ministry he knew he had come to act as a worthy perfect acceptable substitute on behalf of his sheep we break down those words just a little bit to, to, to I don't know, get a deeper understanding of what that all means. Uh, we look at the word worthy. It means fitting or appropriate or correspondent. Our king, one of us, willing and able to serve in this way. I mean, what you would, would expect for a king would be to look out for his people, right? Jesus does that in profound ways. Not just fulfilling a a seat on a throne or or doing the day-to-day administrative activities of what we think is an administrator. No, Jesus went far beyond that. Not only is he acquainted with all those things, not only does he sustain the creation and was part of it, but Jesus also goes so far as to see the problem with mankind and speaks directly to it with his presence, with his will, and with his abilities. Jesus stands in the breach for his people. Now that's a king. He is also perfect. That means he was is is without blemish. He is pure. He fulfills all the requirements, not just some, but all the requirements. Profoundly doing so in ways that we don't even know at this point, but we will find out. I'm sure as time goes on. I look forward to that first seminar in heaven when i when i get there jesus also was an acceptable sacrifice he was capable of eliciting a favorable acceptance from god that is to say when god put this all together you know he was looking for something someone to do everything that needed to be done in a profoundly encompassing way right and jesus was the guy And he was chosen and and, uh, called and he accepted and went and did all those things absolutely perfectly. God is willing to accept Jesus' death as payment in full for our sins. All of us, all of our sins. It's an act of love. Jesus loves the Lord. He loves his Father in heaven. And he loves us. And step forward. To do what needed to be done. And he substituted for us. We were exchanged for him. Jesus for us, like Barabbas. At the center of Jesus' teaching was the assertion that he was doing this not for himself, but for us to redeem us, to ransom us, to save us. He bore our sins. Because we could not, he gave himself up for us, so that we could become like him, spotless sons and daughters of the living God. Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon delivered on Sabbath morning, eighteen fifty nine, the Music Hall in Royal Surrey Gardens, wherever there that place is, never been there. But it goes like this. Part of it goes like this. He says, The heart of Christ became like a reservoir in the midst of the mountains, all the tributary streams of iniquity. Every drop of the sins of his people ran down and gathered into one vast lake, deep as hell, shoreless as eternity. All these met, as it were, in Christ's heart. And he endured them all. No one could do that except for him. Perfect, worthy, acceptable, without blemish. Jesus said, and John, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for my sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received. From my Father. Amazing. That Jesus knew the issue. And he stood forward. Stepped forward to accept the responsibility. And carried it through to completion. Perfectly. Accomplishing God's intention. To save us from our sins. So that we may be a holy nation. One called to his will. So the second Adam in effect, becomes the first. The second Adam in chronological order, but the first in prestige and in accomplishment, being the one who didn't mess up, being the one who accomplished God's will perfectly. Adam in Genesis 1 reflects the glory of the eternal Son of God, who from all eternity was with God, as the exact image of the ineffable and invisible God the act of robbery was attempted as Adam, the son of God, and made him a little lower than God, asserting, asserted himself to be as God, to be Lord in his own right, and independently of God, his maker. But he failed in this aspiration. Adam wanted to be like God, but he didn't want to do it God's way. He chose to exclude God from the process of being the image of God, and so he failed miserably and became but a shadow of the image. The eternal Son of God, however, faced with a parallel temptation, renounced what was by his right and could actually have become his possession by seizure of it, vis-a-vis equality with God, and chose instead the way of obedient suffering as the pathway to his lordship. Philippians chapter 2, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. From John's Apocalypse, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, And to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That's what Jesus did for us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thy main plan and the end of Thy will is to make Christ glorious and beloved in heaven where he is now ascended, where one day all the elect will behold his glory and love and glory him him forever. Though here we love him but little, may this be our portion at last. In this world thou hast given us a beginning. One day it will be perfected in the realm above. Thou hast helped us to see and to know Christ, though obscurely, to take him, to receive him possess him, to love him, to bless him in our hearts, with our mouths, in our lives. Let us study and stand for discipline and all the ways of worship out of love for Christ and to show our thankfulness, to seek and know his will from love, to hold in love and daily to care for and keep this state of heart. Thou hast led us to this place all our nature and happiness in oneness with Christ, in having heart and mind centered only on him, in being like him, in communicating good to others. This is our heaven on earth. But we need the force, the energy, the impulses of thy spirit to carry us on the way to our Jerusalem. Here it is our duty to be as Christ in the world, to do what he would do, to live as he would live, to walk in love and meekness, Then he would be known. Then would we have peace in death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.